What goes on inside the mind of the Singapore consumer? The Kiasunomics podcast series unravels the way Singaporeans behave across different domains like spending, transport, environment, superstition, schooling, and housing markets. Backed by multiple research studies, NUS Business School professors examine the quirks, psychology, and mechanics behind the daily economic decisions of Singaporeans. Welcome back to another episode of Kiasunomics podcast. So I've been in Singapore for the last 10 years and I will routinely meet Singaporeans, Chinese, who will tell me I'm a dragon baby, I'm a tiger baby. As an Indian who lived in America, I don't understand what that means, but they are very proud to call themselves dragon babies and they will tell me, look, they have achieved so much because their parents chose to give birth to them in the right ear. Now, this just could be anecdotal, you know, we are only looking at the success stories and we are not looking at what really is happening. The bigger question is, do these superstitions really matter? Or is there a systematic pattern that being born in the dragon ear will help your life? These are difficult questions to answer. In economics, there is a large literature that brings this whole idea into the broader context of cohorts. Do cohorts, different cohorts, perform better or worse because they are born at different time periods? And are there cohort effects that we can identify? So essentially being born every 12 years into this dragon year, does this have implications? So today we have uh, Wenlan Chen from the finance department at the NUS Business School, who has clearly spent some time thinking about this question. She herself is a dragon, so obviously she, it is firsthand for her. She's obviously successful. So we want to hear from her. Did her parents really think about this when they gave birth to her? that being born in this year would make her successful and they knew about it. And what does the word dragon actually imply to you? <laughs> thank you, Sumit. So thank you for revealing my age. Uh, yes, I am uh, indeed a dragon and I'm Chinese. So uh, when I grew up, um, there's always this saying that dragons uh, are a... Um, sort of a, a zodiac that gives you blessing. Of course, it's all kind of a, uh, the, the nice wishes from the older generation saying that if you're a dragon, you can do well in life, you're going to be successful, and so on and so forth. So this is also part of the reason why I want to study this question, to really look at do people systematically believe in this superstition? And then when they do believe in this superstition, do people actually take action in trying to have kids during the dragon years so that their kids can have a better future. I mean, hopefully they can, their kids have a better future. Tell us, is there first thing, do birth rates go up during dragon years or is this just anecdotal? We hear I'm dragon and the dra birth rates are still the same. Right. So in that sense, Singapore gives us a very nice um, setting to study this question so we can access all kinds of data, including the birth statistics. And also we can observe the Chinese and non-Chinese uh, birth statistics and to actually really understand, is there an abnormal 
a change in the birth rate during dragon years. So what we first look at is to use the official birth statistics in Singapore and look at the Chinese versus the non-Chinese sort of a birth rate patterns over the last, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. So since 1960-ish, what we observe is that every time when you see a dragon year, you actually see a significant spike, upward spike in the number of babies or Chinese babies being born in that year. So you're saying that Indian and Malay babies don't change, it's just the Chinese babies. Correct. Change. So that gives us a confidence, actually, that what happens in those uh, dragon years is really because of the superstitions held by the Chinese uh, uh, culture, not by some other economic conditions or something else that's going on. If you look at the graph, which we plotted in the paper, that the the graph, the birth statistics, uh, birth statistics graph for the Malays and Indians and others are remaining quite smooth and flat, or there's they follow a normal trend. Okay. However, if you look at the Chinese, there is a significant kind of uh, abnormal tick, upward tick, uh, whenever it comes to dragon years. And to be precise, the numbers, the number of babies, or the birth rate has gone up on average by close to 10% for the Chinese during the dragon years. Wow, that's a big number. Yes, correct. That's so also that very can surprising. have huge implications for the whole cohort. essentially starting from grade school to middle school to college. So what was the next step you were looking in the data? Yes, so that's indeed very interesting. If the number was small, then who cares, right? So then if the number actually, the birth uh, increase, birth rate increase is significant, which we do observe in the data in Singapore, then we wonder, how do they do in life? So what we actually uh, uh, look at is first to understand when they grow up, when they enter adulthood, when they have their jobs, how do they do in terms of their income? Now, again, we want to sort of make the scientific comparison. So we cannot just look at the dragons versus the non-dragons because if they're born in different years, then things, uh, life may be different for them in, uh, along many aspects. For example, schools are different or there might be uh, policy changes in different years and maybe they enter crisis. Uh, some groups of uh, cohorts enter crisis uh, uh, or experience, experience crisis while others do not. So what we also want, what we do uh, uh, is to find a comparison group so that to control or to um, it, uh, mitigate all those uh, potential uh, confounding factors. So the comparison group in this case would be the non-Chinese. So what we look at is to compare the Chinese dragons versus the Chinese non-dragons and to look at their difference in income. So this is actually the interest group, what we want to look at. Now, in order to make the fair comparison, we also look at the non-Chinese dragons versus the non-Chinese non-dragons. So in a way that the the non-Chinese, we also compare the people who were born in dragon years and the people who are not born in dragon years and see how their income actually going to differ. So this gives us a sort of a benchmark. So just to kind of crystallize what you're saying is, your view is that if I look at a non-Chinese who was born in a dragon year versus a non-Chinese who was born in a non-dragon year, their income should not change because nothing changed for them. But a, no, a Chinese born in a dragon year versus a Chinese born in a non-dragon year, their income could change. It could go up, it could go down. If, the, if it's not a superstition, if it really is something happening to them, their income could go down. Yes, correct. But if there is a superstition, who knows? So what do you find them? So what we find is actually, indeed, their income is significantly lower. 
So to give you a concrete idea, the Chinese dragons uh, earn on average 6.3% uh, lower than the non-Chinese dragons. Again, this is all relative to the non-Chinese uh, dragon versus So you're, you're saying this is after like 20 plus years yes. of their born, yes. their income is down, and will this effect be persistent for life or will it kind of go away after a while? Um, it's hard to make a firm conclusion, but what we see in the data or the suggestive evidence suggests that actually it's quite persistent, even though the effect is going to die down slowly. I mean, this is understandable because as you grow up, there are other uh, life experiences that matter, not only when the, the time or the environment when you grow up. But you do see actually that um, the effect is quite strong and persistent. So, I mean, this is provocative because you're saying, look, uh, parents who are having kids in the dragon year, this is not a very good idea. In fact, you are hurting your child's lifetime income and wealth by giving birth. Let's try to dig a little deeper and understand why do you think there, oh, this is happening? I mean, is it that the grade school classes are overcrowded and the teachers don't give them enough education and as a result, they don't they are not smart enough, or is it some other frictions that could be happening? Correct. That's the next step, because uh, after looking at the data, then it's very puzzling, because it's against the sort of the usual saying that if you're born in dragon years, you'll do well. So, And that's against the wishes that are held by the parents. So there are several po uh, possibilities. The first obvious one is that maybe people who hold the super super superstition are, uh, or the parents who do believe in that superstition are now enoughly well-educated to understand that superstition is just superstition. So it's really not because uh, by having babies in the dragon years actually make them worse. It's because that they would have done poorly anyways, okay, because their parents are not uh, sufficiently educated. So this is the typical selection argument uh, that we believe in economics. So what we find in the data is that we actually we compare the parents of the dragon babies, and we don't find systematic differences in their income or educational level, which means that it's not really that only the parents that are, uh, are not well-educated or, or, or lower, have lower income choose to have babies in dragon years. So that we can rule out. So there must be something else that's going on. Now that you also mentioned, because that could it be because that uh, the school capacity is limited? We also look at that. I mean, it turns out that actually the Singapore government has done quite a good job. If you look at the data, they actually anticipate the uh, birth wave during dragon years, and they actually already take uh, anticipatory uh, measures to respond to the increasing birth rates in dragon years. But for example, by increasing uh, teachers and, uh, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So it doesn't look like that the government or the, the schools are lacking uh, the resources are lacking the capacity to accommodate the increased size of the, of the students. So that also we can rule out. So then the friction is not in the schooling market, then it must be in the labor market. Okay, yes, so um, that is one channel. Well, let me first talk about, there are two things that are potentially going on. One is that despite the uh, government's measures trying to help, the, uh, help out, the, the, the fact that is that in dragon years, there is 10% more uh, students or there are 10% more kids who are competing for the same type of both public educational resources, but also private 
educational resources, right? So the policy of the government can only help out with the public educational resources, but they cannot uh, do everything. So it's possible that due to the increased competition because of the larger cohort size, that the, the dragon babies are going to still do worse in uh, school performance. And this is something that we actually observe in the data in a sense that we actually look at the um, college admission uh, rate. So the Chinese dragon babies actually are 2% or 2.3 percentage lower like, uh, less likely to be admitted to the top uh, universities in Singapore compared to the uh, Chinese non-dragon babies. So and they do worse and the lower admission rate is mostly driven by their lower standardized test scores which suggests that that could be that there's more competition in the private educational resources because of the larger cohort size, which causes the, the poorer educational performance. But that can't explain all of the difference you're finding in the income, which is around Correct. 7%. So there must be something else going on. Correct. So that's the second channel we try to explore, which is the labor market response. Now, we all know that actually labor market is actually quite uh, sticky, meaning that they cannot adjust and uh, absorb uh, the sudden change or the transitory change in the labor supply in the short term, okay? So when you have actually 10% more people entering the labor market, and then, then there's just not that many jobs uh, that are, are offered uh, during one year of time, so that, and um, the labor market cannot sort of uh, quickly adjust the number of jobs. And that creates also a lot of competition. And when you have more people looking for jobs than the jobs that are available, then you will naturally see the income that are offered to those fresh graduates are going to be lower. This is exactly what we find. So interesting. So clearly, this explains both through the educational market, the private educational market, and the labor market as to why the wages are lower. So let me come back to you because you are a dragon. Mm -hmm. So are you then concluding from this, you are earning 6% lower your income? <laughs> or is this dragon effect concentrated to a certain part of the distribution and not to the high end? The high end part of the distribution is still doing well, which is you, and the middle and the lower end distribution is losing money or 6%. Yeah, I'm not sure which part of the distribution I belong to, but what we find in the data is that actually indeed, now, if you look at the college admission rate or the admission scores, the lower performance of the Chinese dragons are concentrated among the marginal students, meaning that if they are in previous years, if, for example, they're about to or they're just about to be get admitted, and those are the people who are going to be dropped out of the college market. And these are the people who are going to suffer the most. So in essence, I can conclude that the very smart, very rich dragons will do very well. They are not going to be affected, but the, the, the marginal dragon is going to be negatively affected from this. So essentially, luckily, you are not losing 6%, so that's good news for you, us. You never know. Maybe I'm already <laughs> losing 6% compared to what, what I've, I could have done. Okay. <laughs> so this is another fine episode where we were trying to understand and learn about the myths of 
the dragon where 10% population growth happens in terms of the baby production in, in Singapore. And I'm guessing this is not just confined to Singapore. Singapore was a nice lab for Wenlan to study because there was this control group of Indians and Malays. But I can imagine this happening in China or any other country where there's a dominant Chinese population and there is huge effects on resource allocation and wages and other outcomes. Uh, thanks, Wenlan, for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned as we bring you more interesting research-based insights on a wide range of topics in business and economics. Subscribe to our channel now.